0: passage is going to be about in the New Testament, and then uh, what the sermon is going to be about. Uh, we do this every, every Sunday. I'm going to give you all a heads up where we're going. So young ones, uh, this is gross. This is gross. Uh, but what do you think a frog would do if you tossed it into a boiling pot of water? What do you think it would do? It would cry. It would cry, and then what would it do? Cry and then jump out of the pot. I mean, if you had a boiling pot of water and you throw a frog in there, it's going to yeah yell, shriek, ribbit, whatever, and jump and hop away. Okay, but did you, know, did you know that if you took a frog and you put it in just a bowl of like nice, cool water? Frogs love water. If you put it in a bowl of water, it will just hang out. And then did you know if you turn the heat on slowly, low, If you start it low and you heat that pot up slowly, do you know what that frog is going to do? It's not going to jump out. It's going to sit there and sit there and sit there and it's going to slowly cook until that water is boiling and that frog is dead. So gross, don't do that, don't try it, It's it's just a picture. But it's this—it's this picture of this warning that Jesus gives to the church. So Jesus is here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and He's going to give the church a warning. Jesus is going to warn the church. Listen—it's like—it's like like the church is like a frog in a pot, and and the world—the world—the the the church is in danger because of the world around it. And if the church is not aware of the danger, the church is going to be in big, big trouble—like big trouble. So Jesus gives us this warning. And let me ask you this question. Kids, how do you get to heaven? It's like the biggest question you could ask. How do you get to heaven? Believe in Jesus, he said with a yawn. Yes! Believe in Jesus. That is how you get to heaven. And y'all, here's what Jesus is going to warn the church today. Sorry, here's what Jesus is going to warn the church today. The world does not want you to believe in Jesus. The world does not want you to believe in grace. The world does not want you to believe that you need Jesus' life and his death for your life and your death to get to heaven. Uh, Why is that? It's because the world says following Jesus is too hard. And what the world wants to do, what everybody in the world wants to do is, I don't want to do what Jesus tells me to do. I don't need Jesus. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to decide what I want to do, what's right, what's wrong, and I can be good enough to get to heaven. I don't need Jesus. Now, let me ask you this. Is following Jesus hard? Young ones, is following Jesus hard? Yes. We can say that. We can say, yes, this is like, following Jesus is hard. But the world, here's the last thing, here's what Jesus isn't going to say. He's then going to say, you know what, it's really the world that is like the frog in that pot. And what the world does not realize is the danger that it is in. And Jesus is saying, Go to the world, you need Jesus. You need his life and his death for you, or world, you will die forever. So is following Jesus hard, young ones? yes. But, and, following Jesus in this life is hard, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way, his life and his death, and his defeat of death and our sin, is the only way to live forever. This is what he's going to tell us. So yes, this life is hard, and guess what? You have to hold on to Jesus. Because this life is not all there is. What we really want is heaven. Heaven. And Jesus is the way. So here is, here is Jesus uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, 14 weeks, everyone, 14 weeks into the sermon series. Here's what we can say. We can say this is the stuff, all this stuff we've done. This is the stuff of the new covenant between God and his people. We have been in the commands of the new covenant. But now the commands are over. So there are no more commandments at the end of the sermon right here. Uh, Jesus now ends the sermon the way he began it. So at the beginning, he talked about the blessings of the new covenant. He talks about the blessings before you ever get to the commands, because you get the blessings, not because you obey the commands. You get the blessings because of Jesus. And then this is now how you're supposed to live. And now he ends the way he started. He talks about curses. Uh, And he ends with, The curses of if you don't follow Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus. And he ends the sermon with a warning. uh, It's really one warning that comes in three pairs. So three pairs of twos. So just as we read this, I want you to be aware of this this pattern. One warning he gives three times saying, watch out for this. Uh, This versus this. Do this, not this. Uh, It's watch out. There are two types of gates. There are two types of teachers. There are two types of foundations. It's all talking about the same thing. Please stand for the reading of God's word, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now beware of false prophets. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears the words, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock authority, not as their scribes. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Uh, Jesus says there are two gates, a narrow gate and a wide gate, and Jesus says enter the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate like we're supposed to know what we're entering into and which gate this narrow gate is, and we are supposed to know that. Because remember, one sermon, and we've just been taking it up, we've been dividing it up, but if you remember one sermon, he's been talking about entering into the kingdom of heaven, and the narrow gate that you're supposed to enter into, it would be everything that Jesus has just said. Everything about how to live this life, and how to receive the blessing of the life to come. So the narrow gate is Jesus. You enter the narrow gate that leads to heaven through Jesus following him the wide gate then would be those who say they're following jesus this is important the wide gate is he's talking about people who say they're following jesus and they're wanting to enter into that kingdom of heaven but that wide gate is not it's not the way of living this life that jesus is talking about it's not following after jesus and the warning is The way that ignores what Jesus has just said does not lead to heaven. It leads to a path of destruction. Away from Jesus, there is no blessing. There is only cursing. And that way is a wide gate because that way is easy. That life is easy. Much easier than actually following Jesus. So the Jews that are hearing this are going to be challenged because Jewish expectations were for a conquering Messiah. They want a conquering Messiah who's going to privilege Jews. But Jesus here, he's not excluding Gentiles. He's not excluding the Romans, the Greeks, and he's not sounding like the conquering Messiah that that they were expecting. This guy does not sound like, he does not look like the guy who's going to kick the Romans out. So the Jews are going to be challenged here, and the Gentile, Romans, Greeks hearing this stuff, they're going to be challenged too because, because, wait, what? We're supposed to follow this Jew, this poor, peasant, foreigner, Jewish man, as the way to live this life and the way to live forever, ever, ever life? This is going to be a challenge to everyone. If this Jesus is the Messiah, then everyone listening Everyone listening wants following Jesus to mean no suffering, no persecution, no affliction, no cost. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. That's how we started the sermon. That doesn't sound like blessing. Love your enemies. No. 2,000 years later, it's still the same. Like, nobody, nobody wants following Jesus to be hard. We resist that. We want to deny that that's reality in all kinds of ways. There are all kinds of people who say that they are following Jesus, but they're actually not following Jesus because they ignore what he says that looks like, because they ignore what he says here. They choose their way instead of Jesus' way because it's easier. That's choosing the wide gate. So uh, this looks like so many things. Let's just hit some on the news. There's the uber-popular health and wealth gospel uh, stuff that says, if you believe in God, and if you believe in Jesus, and if you're a good person, if you're pious, uh, then God will give you prosperity. Yeah, that's easier, but that's not the way. There's the very, very common self-centered, individualistic version of Christianity that says, I'll have a relationship with God, I'll have a relationship with Jesus, but on my terms. Like, I don't need to go to church, I don't need to serve, I don't need to give. Yes, that is easier, but that is not the way. There's the political gospel that says, we, the church, we can have dominion over this country again. Uh, we don't have to put up with persecution. We can take power in our politics, in our culture, in our families. And that sounds easier. but that is not the way. There's the social gospel that says, let's not talk about the kingdom of heaven as if that's something we've got to wait on. Uh, let's not focus let's not focus on Jesus as God. let's not focus on repentance for sin. Let's focus on social justice. Let's focus on the poor and the oppressed because the poor and the oppressed, they need to be liberated right now. So let's make heaven on earth now. That actually is easier, but it's not the way. There's the secret mentality of churches that says let's ignore the uh, hard stuff, let's ignore confusing doctrine, let's ignore offensive doctrine, let's just be winsome, and let's do whatever it takes to attract people to our church, and let's have a big influential church now, hey, that is easy, and it's not the way. And there's the narcissist-led churches where the leadership, above all, is interested in, in how these new covenant commands give them authority over people uh, who have to do what you tell them to do. And that way is easy, but it's not the way of the kingdom. And here's the faulty premise. The faulty premise is that God does not want us to suffer. That's not true. God does not promise you a life without suffering. Christians suffer like everyone else. We get tired, we get hungry, we get sick, we get hurt, we get cold, we we have broken relationships, we get lonely, we get depressed. Like everyone else, we suffer the we suffer the same old, same old too. And in becoming a Christian, you take on more suffering. That the world does not take on. You suffer for Christ right now. You take up your cross as a Christian. That's the call. Every time you choose not to indulge your temptations, that is suffering. And following Jesus, it will cost you relationships. People will malign you. People will malign your reputation because you follow Jesus. And when you forego your rights... When someone insults you and you bless them, someone hurts you and you forgive them, you absorbing that cost, that is suffering. When you serve someone else not to get anything in return, but for the good of that other person, that's sacrificial suffering. When you do good and it costs you, whether it, it, if you're being honest at your work, hey, okay, that's suffering. In today's world now, uh, I hear this more and more, if you just do your work the way you're supposed to do your work versus a lot of other people are choosing to ignore their work but play a political game out in the hallway, that's suffering. When you give of your money freely to the mission of the church to proclaim the gospel, that's money that you could spend on yourself. That's suffering. When you share the gospel, when you claim your identity as a Christian in the world, it's, that will cost you. And the temptation for all of us is to want following Jesus to mean security. We want it to mean a blessed life here on earth. And Jesus says that kind of thinking actually rejects what he's just been preaching in this Sermon on the Mount. He says that's the wide gate. And Jesus warns us that that gate, it leads to destruction. And the hard part is, yeah, it's really wide and it's really easy. So Jesus is saying, count the cost of following him. And he gives the warning again with another pair. He says, he says two gates and now two teachers. Uh, when it comes to following Jesus, if, if everybody just always said, hey, nobody said it would be easy, like that would help. That would make it a little easier. Except nobody says that. Nobody says, hey, nobody said it would be easy. But everybody, uh, instead, Jesus warns that there are going to be plenty of false teachers leading people through the wide gate and away from Jesus, away from his kingdom toward an easier path that leads to destruction. And he says these false teachers, he says they are wolves in sheep's clothing, which is a really vivid image. Because what that means, again, is this false teacher claims to be one of Jesus' sheep, but they're actually a wolf. They're claiming Christianity, but they are a false teacher leading you to your doom wolf in sheep's clothing uh you know we can see this caricature caricature thing of like you can obviously tell it's a wolf under like this ratty like sheep you know coat but that's not that's not the picture the picture is like looks like a sheep but it's really a wolf which which raises the question like how do you know how do you know who's a sheep and who's a wolf and Jesus says, you'll know. He says, you really can know. He says, the way you can know is by their fruit. True teachers and false teachers are like sheep and wolves and like trees with fruit. Okay, whoever said, don't mix metaphors, like you've got to take that up with Jesus in heaven. Because he, like here he is mixing up his met- Like he, You know what a wolf is like? He's like this tree that... Like, and, and you don't have to, we don't have to be a farmer, you don't have to be a farmer to know, like he talks about, you know, you're, you're looking for grapes, you don't go looking for grapes and thorn bushes and figs and thistles, I don't know what a thistle is, so that, that one's a little hard, but um, like we, I get it, the grapes and thorn bush thing, okay, so I, I get it, But, but, but still, what this fruit stuff means, it has confused people, still confuses people. Jesus says you'll know ravenous wolves, false teachers, by their fruit. What's their fruit? Some people will say, well, what this means is you look, look at their life, look at the the teacher's life and behavior and see if they have the fruit of the Spirit. And if they do, then they're a true teacher. Then they're a teacher of truth. Here's the problem with that. The problem is the fruit of the Spirit is not always easily identifiable. Some teachers, some teachers are super friendly some teachers are super kind, very patient, seemingly very loving of people. I mean, some of them are always, always, always smiling with a twinkle in their eye. But Jesus says you will be able to know. It, it, did you hear me? Like false, te- these are false teachers. But Jesus says you will be able to know them by their fruit. So that can't be the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's, it can be too hard. And Jesus says, this is, this is reliable. You'll know them by their fruit. Others say that the fruit is the result of their teaching. So if the teaching gathers people to the church, then it's a good teacher. But, but that raises the question, wait, 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 but what's the church? What's the church and what is the teaching that people are being gathered to? Because false teachers baptize people into their church all the time. Uh, and, And that church can be all about false teaching, which means the number of baptisms of a particular church or ministry is not necessarily the great indicator of the health or truth of that ministry, of that church, of its teaching. I mean, some of the biggest churches have very little to do with Jesus and his gospel. And again, Jesus says there is this standard, and it's reliable. It's this fruit If you know, if you can recognize the fruit, if you see the fruit, you'll recognize whether they're true teachers or false teachers. So again, uh, you can know false teachers by this fruit. Then what is the fruit? And it's this. Sometimes the symbol is so obvious, it's just easy to miss over it, and we make it more complicated than it is. The fruit is the message itself. You know a true teacher from a false teacher, who are like fruit trees depending on the fruit that they're handing out to you. By the fruit that they are offering to you. What is the good fruit of a good teacher? What is the good fruit that a good teacher is supposed to be offering you? It's the gospel. It's what Jesus is saying, right? It's everything that Jesus has just been saying. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And if your teacher does not sound like, if the teacher does not say what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount, he is not offering you good news. He's not offering you the good fruit of the, good, uh, of the new covenant. He's not offering you anything good. And whatever he is offering you, it is bad. It is rotten, and it leads to unhealth. It leads to destruction. That's a false teacher. So, if a teacher contradicts the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount he is a false teacher. If a teacher contradicts the grace of the New Covenant and teaches teaches that you, you're a good person and you can be saved by being a good person that person is a false teacher and Jesus calls all he calls all these false teachers they're all workers of lawlessness. those who reject Jesus's ethics those who reject Jesus's grace are both lawless they're both lawless because it's not Jesus and it's not his new covenant that they're holding out, that they're holding on to. So you can even think of like the most strict legalists. They're lawless. How are they lawless? They're lawless because they don't see themselves as as guilty lawbreakers, which Jesus does, which means they're really lawless. And the teachers, those teachers who are just the most anti-law, like, let's, let's, like, forget about all that the Bible says. The Bible's not the word of God. Here's we know what we're supposed to do. We'll decide what's right and what's wrong for ourselves. They are a law unto themselves. They're the judge. And that's not Jesus' law. And so they too are lawless. And Jesus says these false teachers will be judged. They'll be exposed as having never known Jesus. And this defense of, of whoa whoa whoa. Well, didn't I talk about you, Jesus? At the end of all things, that will not save them when they are exposed for having never taught what Jesus taught, for having never held out the gospel. And the warning about those false teachers and their end, it's said four times. Verse 13, their end is destruction. Verse 19, they'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 21, they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 23, Jesus will tell them, depart from him. He never knew them. The way of false teachers, it leads to an eternal curse not blessing and the encouragement to us is remember that and don't follow them because look at their end and then he gives the same warning one more time he says two gates two teachers and last two foundations he said the solid foundation and here jesus is really 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 clear if you're wondering what is he talking about like the solid foundation is the sermon on the mount it is this new covenant it is the gospel verse 24 he says Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And Jesus says, and the storms of life are coming. Jesus promises in this life, he promises you uh, storms, storms are coming. and He's talking to the people in the church. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And, and he promises that the people of the church who stand on the solid foundation of the gospel, they won't fall. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Years ago, and I mean years and years ago, uh, the, the great architect Frank Lloyd Wright, he was given the challenge of building the Imperial, Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. Uh, and it, it, Tokyo is one of the most earthquake-prone cities in the world. And and so Lloyd Wright did his investigation, and his investigation showed that a solid foundation could be floated, floated on a 60-foot layer of soft mud underlying the hotel, which would provide a shock-absorbing but solid support for the immense building. Well, right after the hotel is finished, a gigantic earthquake, the worst earthquake in 52 years hits Tokyo. And there's the, there's the Imperial uh, Hotel in Tokyo standing, standing tall, standing strong, while all the other buildings around it have completely fallen into ruins. And that's the stuff we want to hear in Houston, in this concrete swamp that we live on. Like, that's the, yeah, let's do that. Like, the warning here, the warning is to those who refuse to build their life on the solid foundation of Jesus. The warning is to those who build their life on anything else other than the gospel. Because the final storm of judgment, it is coming. And without Jesus, you will fall, and there's nothing you can do to prevent that. We here in the church, we are in for a storm too. Jesus says, and he's the only foundation that can withstand it all. And it's not just the storms of this life. Because I know you're hearing this and you're saying, yeah, okay, I'm drowning. And I'm beaten up. I feel like I have crashed and burned and I am ruined. Yes, and Jesus says he is your sure foundation that withstands the storms of this life and the final judgment to come. Because it's true, this life, it will overwhelm you like a flood. It will overwhelm you like a flood, but in the end, you will be standing above the waters. Like a hurricane, this life is going to beat you up. But in the end, it won't beat you. This life, loved ones, this life is going to kill you. It will. It will kill you. It is going to kill you. But in the end, you will live forever. And it's because of Jesus. You will not fall. Jesus will literally raise you up all the way to His kingdom of heaven. And after Jesus' sermon, uh, there stands the shell-shocked crowds, because no teacher has talked like this. The and the real mic drop, the real mic drop here. It's in the middle. The the first and the third. If you listen to like the structure of it, the first and the third warning. It's really one warning. But they're architectural imagery. You got the gate. And then you got the foundation, and it forms this inclusio, highlighting the second uh, warning, that, that second pair. Uh, and when this teacher, who teaches like no other teachers, when this teacher, Jesus, reveals that false teachers who, who teach anything contrary to what he is teaching, to his authoritative teaching, they will be judged on judgment day. On judgment day, they will, he says, those false teachers will finally, even though reluctantly, Recognize Jesus as, quote, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, on that day, I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. There's a crowd there at the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is a miracle worker, yes, but they're not running around at this point saying, Jesus is God in the flesh. But that is exactly what Jesus is already saying. He is saying, yeah, I am God in the flesh. Lord, Lord. He's claiming to be judge of heaven and earth. Jesus is already saying that. On that day, that's judgment day. He says, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Only God says that stuff. Which means Jesus is God. As he started with blessings and he ends with curses, Jesus is the blesser and the curser. Because he is God. And the crowds are still there at this point. And the curses that are threatened here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the curses that are threatened here to the crowd, they are a warning of impending doom. And they are a warning to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he's going around saying. So Jesus invites all of those who are listening to come to him that they would be blessed. Not to go away from him, because to go away from him is to be cursed. He says, come to him because he's the blesser. Which is how the sermon began, with the Beatitudes, with the declaration of blessing. And the promise of blessing to those who will look to the one who's pronouncing that blessing. There is a crowd now. There's a crowd now, and it's actually going to grow. Because Jesus is teaching, and because of his miracles, they're going to continue to wow people. But, but... This crowd, it is going to turn on Jesus because it's just too hard. It just gets too hard because it just gets too impossible. The one who said he was the gate, he gets arrested and he gets locked up. Like Jesus is the way, how can be Jesus is the way when the way is now shut? The one who said he was the shepherd of his sheep, he's accused and he's condemned by the religious leaders for being a wolf. The one who said he was the sure foundation, able to raise people up, he is beaten, he is uh, crushed by the political authorities, and then he is raised up on a cross. How can the one who is cursed be the one who blesses? It's because he's cursed for you. It's because he's crushed and condemned for you. It's because he takes God's curse He takes God's judgment for your sin so that you can have his blessing. Loved ones, when the world hates you, remember it first hated Jesus. And remember that it hates you because the world hates Jesus. And many, Jesus is saying, many in the world who claim to be in the church, they hate Jesus, again, because the world hates this cost. It hates the cost of the gospel. And you, this, today, and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, Jesus is telling us, you've got to count the cost. It is all of Jesus. It cost him everything. It is all of grace. And the world hates that cost. But you, you are called to believe it. Let's pray. Father, we pray for faith again today that you would continue to grow us in this grace that cost Jesus everything, and it cost us nothing. Uh, Even as we we also hear and believe that following Jesus, it will cost us everything. Uh, Lord, in this life uh, and in the next, we will be given everything. Father, help us to hold on to that today because today is going to be hard and tomorrow is going to be hard. But again, we pray as we've been praying that today the cross would be bigger to us than it was yesterday and that tomorrow the cross will be bigger than it is today. Father, we want to know this grace. We want to know this new life that you have given to your church, to your people. And we want to be those people who grab onto Jesus, who hold out Jesus and his grace to each other Lord, we we thank you for doing what we could not do. We thank you for fulfilling the law in our place. And we thank you for taking that curse upon the cross in our place. We thank you for the eternal life you have won for us and share with us by grace. Lord, help us to hold on to it. Give us the eyes of faith to believe today and tomorrow and the next day until you call us home or until you come back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you look here to this table, it's the gospel.